Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to a brand new DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you're all doing well and thank you as always for being here. It's great to have you along for a bit of F1 chat and discussion and in this episode we are going to be having a little bit of a chat and a bit of a review of what went down during the pre-season test in Bahrain. That's right with F1 not so far away now we're going to be talking about the pre-season test that went on at the same circuit at the Bahrain International Circuit in Sakir. And we're going to try and see if we can unpick some of the mysteries that may have been uncovered during pre-season testing and try and gauge a bit of a understanding as to what the potential pecking order will be heading into the Bahrain Grand Prix. The season's opener, of course, which is only uh, at the point of recording or the point that you'll be listening to this, I hope, will be only just days away. So to join me to go over all of that and to try and see if we can figure out what this pecking order is going to be, we've got Lee Wallington joining me once again on the DNF1 panel. Lee, first things first, how are you doing, mate? Thanks for coming on as always. And what did you make of the pre-season test? Well, firstly, I'm good. Thank you for asking, Adam. I hope you are as well. Um, the test, oh, I, I just enjoyed it. <laughs> see, having cars go around the track, it's like finally Formula <laughs> 1 starting but because it's only one um, period of testing this year compared to previous years where there may have been two or three different times spread out in the pre-winter or pre-season testing, we've only got the one period and it's just the week before. So we don't have to wait long before we see the first practice sessions, first qualifying and the race and you get this, all this hypothesis will be out the window in a week because we will be proven wrong. Yeah, you're right. And and funny enough, you, you talk about previous years where we used to have multiple tests i remember it wasn't too long ago we'd have two pre-season tests at catalonia sometimes we'd even have more than that years ago when f1 really was running as much as it possibly could and, and money was certainly no object back then fernando alonso actually brought this point up quite recently he mentioned it during the test that he's a little bit concerned that we only get three days of running now and for me, I thought that was a little bit strange to come from Fernando because usually with him, there's no smoke without fire here. But this is a driver that's way more experienced than anybody else on the grid with the exception, of course, of someone like Hamilton. And even then, I would expect him to just turn up, do what he needs to do, and then, you know, it should be absolutely fine. I mean, I know we don't get a lot of testing. We only, I mean, most drivers only get a day and a half. And Fernando last year got, I think, two days worth because Lance Droll obviously wasn't able to turn up because of his injury. But what did you make of that, Lee? Have we got to that point where pre-season testing is now too short? Do the drivers and teams need more time, in your opinion, to get used to the cars before the season starts? So, firstly, I recall, I think Fernando's suggestion was to run both cars in the pre-season testing. Was that... That's right. He he yeah. felt that, you know, why not? You know, I mean, the cost cap stuff and everything else. And I think, you know, the FIA want and F1 want to control that. But I think what Fernando was ultimately saying is that one and a half days running is not enough. You know, you need quite a bit more than that just to get on top of these cars. Yeah. Um, so to answer your original question, um, yeah, F Fernando is a Riley old dog and he's got the talent. And I'm sure he would think otherwise that he can get in the car. He, he's a plug and play driver. Give him a car, he will drive it. Some drivers don't have that ability. So some drivers would obviously love more time. But Fernando's thinking, the more I my team gets to run their car, 
the better the idea they understand of how my car performs. The better position they were to get upgrades or think plan upgrades, the quicker I'll get them, the faster I'll go, and the more likely I'll be um, fighting at the front. So it double double the times, double the data, the team gets to progress so much faster. And so if he starts getting it, it works in Fernando's favour. And I'm not sure, I don't think he's doubting his ability to handle the car. He's just thinking the long game, which is such an effect. Uh, if that is the case, is such a Fernando move that he's always thinking of these other long game scenarios. And that's just Fernando. And about. But I'm sure some drivers would really like to have more than a day and a half in the car. Yeah, a few drivers shared those thoughts of Fernando Alonso. He certainly wasn't alone in having that opinion. I'm not sure everybody feels that they'd agree with have driving in the car for three days straight uh, to get ready. But of course, you know, every ounce of preparation that they can get, which is on top of what they're already doing, is obviously going to be invaluable to them in terms of getting the car set up the right way. And, you know, as we're coming quite closely to the season now, we are quite limited on what is able to be achieved and what the drivers and teams can do during pre-season testing. So everybody tracks on that they can get is absolutely priceless to them. So yeah, I, I totally get the Fernando's point. I don't really see that changing. Um, I just think in the current era, current cost cap that we have, I just don't see why the FIA and F1 would want the teams to have more time on track. And also when it comes to the unpredictability factor, I think one thing that is kind of embedded in or built in as a result of having limited testing nowadays is the fact that if there is a goal for a performance gap between some teams, there's always going to be the added risk of reliability issues or perhaps some teams not being able to fully understand how to set up the cars properly to a point where you know they're not optimised. So you do get more sporadic results early on in the season, which obviously, as a fan, is good for the show. We want to see that uh, spontaneity we want to see a little bit of chaos uh, and as the season goes on it becomes a little bit more predictable in that regard so I, I don't see that changing anytime soon but I totally see Fernando's point yeah uh, and I do want to add like the in this um, pre-season on, unlike some pre-seasons we've been at Circuit de Catalunya obviously the first race has been Australia and Bahrain there's a logistics issue but considering the first race is in Bahrain the, both cars are already there so you're not paying for the extra freight time to get out a second car and part and things like that. So you could argue against that. But the one another thing which the teams always moan about, in my opinion, is or they always moan about, but in my opinion, is they um is they don't have enough track time for their reserve drivers or the testing drivers. If they did three days, two cars, you get your reserve driver, test driver, and you get some pre-season testing, get that, get them some exposure off a race weekend. Um, and I, I think that's good for the driver development. So I do think there is a case for it, but I agree with you. I don't think anything will change. Well, ultimately what you end up with is extended practice sessions and they've had three days of running on this circuit already and they're going to be doing some more running there later this week before we eventually get to that first race on Saturday. And at that point, you've had so much track time and test time it's almost a case of well you guys surely know what to run your cars on at this circuit there's not there's not much more that we can do for you i like the idea of running reserve drivers and you know forcing the teams to having to do that in a manner where they're not just chucking them in for the sake of complying with the regulations you know they're actually embedding these guys into these cars because right now we have a very stacked grid and it's quite hard to see where the next star is going to come from i mean we know roughly where it's probably going to be but they're all currently in F2 right now. They're not actually involved with an F1 team, so to speak, in that capacity. But anyway, look, we're getting sidetracked. The talk of testing, Lee, the first thing that everybody was very, very keen to find out was what the Red Bull was going to look like. Now, we saw the RB20 at the launch. We saw a spec version of it. And at the time, we were all gasping and sighing and ahhing and anything that you can, you know, describe, anything you can say to describe something that's amazing going on here and we all thought does this car have side pods or not and at the time it looked like it wasn't going to have them but we can finally say and confirmly the Red Bull RB20 does in fact have side pods albeit very very small inlets on them or they're literally letterbox holes those inlets on the Red Bull but it does have side pods so it's not quite a carbon copy to a certain degree of the previous Mercedes over the last few years. Yeah, because their, their their letterbox is horizontal, obviously, where the Mercedes one of previous years was vertical. So it's slightly different orientation, but 
yeah, it's a, a very well-sculptured car. It's the only way you could describe it. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people are going to be very interested about the cooling of this car. And also on top of that, I think after having seen it, a lot of us were probably hoping that it wasn't going to be very reliable and that even if the car is fast and they might have cracked it in terms of going down that route, it may not necessarily produce a very quick car, that or reliable car, I should say. That being said, of course, I think they did the third most laps during pre-season testing. I think only Haas and Ferrari did more laps than them. So in terms of the reliability factor, I think we can tick that one off and say that that car looks pretty reliable, or at the very least, it's as reliable as what everybody else is at this point in time, or the most reliable cars that we've seen on track. So for anyone hoping that Red Bull was not going to be able to finish races, even if they were quick, I think we can safely say, although if we're jinxing it, then I'm sure nobody's going to complain about it unless you're a Red Bull fan, um, the Red Bull does look pretty reliable. But it also does look pretty quick as well, especially in the hands of Max Verstappen, who has gone on record in saying that this car operates very, very well and is very much responding to to what he wants it to do. And perhaps in his mind, even more so than the RB19, which is quite a scary thought. Yeah, it's a the RB19 was a car that was perfect for Max and the, the way Max has described it with a lot of um, HS and superlatives is it, it sounds even better for Max than last year, which is... Yeah, it's quite scary, but it's also be really interesting to see what Max can do with such a piece of machinery that he feels works for him even more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the fear is from a lot of F1 fans that the Red Bull, at the very least, are going to have a similar margin to what they enjoyed last season. Some people think they may have increased the gap even more so, which seems mind-boggling considering how dominant that they were in previous seasons. Where's your head at with this one, Lee? I mean, we've, we've seen the Red Bull over one lap pace. I think they set the fourth fastest time of all with Sergio Perez on day two, albeit on the C3 tyres, which I think everybody's kind of saying it's about a six-tenth delta between that and a C4 tyre. So if you take that into account, it's pretty much on par with what Carlos Sainz did as well, which eventually was the fastest time of all. The long-run pace was obviously quite ominous, especially for Max Verstappen. Perez was a little bit more concerning compared to the competition. But overall, how do you sum up the test for Red Bull? Do you think that they did exactly what they needed to, or are you expecting more to come from them? For Red Bull, I think it was a very positive test. Obviously, they hadn't uh, didn't really have any reliability issues. There was obviously a couple of concerns when uh, Sergio was in the car, where he picked up pieces of damage um, uh, I can't remember what from, but I know he picked up a piece of damage or something and parts had to be changed. Um, but I think it was a very positive test. So you already said the reliability. Obviously, the the concept has changed compared to last year. So there's always that fear, of the especially the cooling aspect, because it's, it's the biggest change. It doesn't work. Bahrain's hot. Obviously, race conditions are very different to testing conditions. But I'm sure they'd be relieved they didn't have any reliability issues in a hot country for the testing um so i think they'd be very pleased but i do think there's more to come for red bull um i don't think there's any time through testing that red bull were pushing the car to the limit um even max's runs i'm sure he was still within himself and it comes to i'm sure he'd be probably a second faster or so uh come qualifying uh next weekend but with red bull i do want to add the caveat that one of their strengths last year wasn't qualifying. It was their unbelievable race pace. Um, and I, that's probably a strength they will carry into this year. Yeah, a lot of people doing the analysis over the one lap pace at this point in time, adjusting for fuels and tyres and everything else. They're kind of forecasting Red Bull's advantage to be around four tenths of a second to the chasing pack, which obviously is a huge margin. But in the race pace... As impressive as that is, they didn't exactly, in my opinion, I don't think they blew anybody away. I think they still look very, very good. And clearly the class of the field, let's not mistake this, but I think we can, if we can, from what we've seen in testing, I think we can give some assurance to some fans that might be worried that they were going to absolutely run away and be a second faster than everyone else. I would say at this point in time, it's probably unlikely that Red Bull are going to be a second a lap faster than everyone else. Despite the fears, I think it was Mercedes that mentioned that and one or two other people might have feared that, but I'd be very surprised if they were a second a lap faster than everybody else. Yeah, I, I don't think that they're, they're 
I don't think there'll be a second light faster. Obviously, I think it's clear Red Bull will have an advantage, but I don't. I think it'll be smaller than uh, expected. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Sergio Perez, um, I think this is a much more important test and a very important season for him than it would be for Max Verstappen. We knew what Max was going to do, just come out, do his job. He's happy with the car. That's an ominous sign in itself. But for Perez, didn't look too bad. I think it's fair to say in testing, he didn't really have any major issues. I know on the first day, he was fighting the car a little bit, but that was to be expected. The track certainly wasn't ramping up to the way it was on day two or three. But overall, what did you make of him, Lee? Do you think he's a good foundation for what he needs to produce this season? It is a very good foundation for Sergio. Obviously, hopefully he's had the winter to reset um, and he come back and have another go for this year. But one of the things that we know with Sergio is he's a good driver, but against the Max machine, um, it gets in his head. And if the other teams are closer, Sergio needs to keep his mind um, in the game because if the teams are coming from, he could easily find himself behind the chasing pack, which obviously we'll get to. But it's very important that Sergio has goes into the start of the season with the confidence and hopefully he maintains his confidence throughout the season. Very much so. Looking behind Red Bull, and the question was, if Red Bull are going to be looking in their mirrors at anybody this season, what car was it going to be? Based on what we saw in pre-season testing, and again, you know, we have to put the obvious caveat, it's only testing, we we won't know the true performance of everybody until the Bahrain Grand Prix comes around next weekend. But it looks very likely at this point in time, based on what we saw in testing, that of the chasing pack it looks like it's going to be the red car that is going to be the most likely to be challenging them at this point in time. Ferrari, to the surprise of a fair amount of people that looked at their car launch and felt a little underwhelmed at what they had produced with the SF24, it looks like Ferrari have got a very tidy race car. Yeah, uh, it's a classic example of looks can be deceiving. It look, oh, what Ferrari have changed from last year, it looks exactly the same, but it's obviously performing better. There was no sign of bottoming like there was a couple of races last year. or um, So it, it looks a solid step, which they can obviously build through the year. But in the hands of both drivers, they both looked comfortable in the car. Um, they didn't really say about struggling with the, the car. Um, it's solid. Look at some of the corners. It seems to have be very solid in entry and exit. And I think it's a very solid base car that they can obviously develop throughout the year. Yeah, it looks that way. And... You know, that they set the fastest time in testing. Carlos signs on day two with a only driver to do a lap in a sub-130 lap on the C4 tyres. Um, we know Ferrari, on average, they tend to run a similar level of power and fuel to what Red Bull do. So you've got yourself, based on previous year's experience, a relatively decent measuring stick to compare the two with. And... As we already established, the one lap pace, it does look like Red Bull have an advantage on Ferrari, or at least the fastest driver, Max Verstappen, has an advantage over Ferrari's fastest driver over one lap, which is Charles Leclerc, who ultimately is probably the fastest driver over one lap as well. So that's obviously another factor you have to play into it. But it's the race pace that Ferrari were producing, particularly on days two and three, which really started to raise through eyebrows amongst the paddock and got a lot of people thinking that Ferrari do look like the best of the rest. Now, it's not a comfortable margin, but based on what we've seen so far, it looks like Ferrari, as you mentioned, Lee, looks can be deceiving here. They look like they've managed to eliminate the majority of the weaknesses that held back the SF23. And the drivers seem very, very happy with it. I don't think Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz probably could have asked for a better pre-season test. Yeah, it was a, a very solid uh, test for Ferrari. Obviously, you can't get much wrong uh, in testing from a operational point of view. Obviously, there's reliability, but we obviously we the three of us we all make a joke about Ferrari and their reliability and what can they mess up. But it's a good start to the season. Ferrari haven't messed up yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the one the car launches with the best looking car, in my opinion, um, they've done pretty well in the pre-season test. If we take Red Bull out the equation, obviously they would have won that. So uh, all things looking great for Ferrari. It's just nothing but Ws. But of course, we've got to get the serious business. And as I said, I I, I think. From what I was hoping for Ferrari to do in, in the pre-season test and what I was looking out for with this car, it did seem to tick a lot of boxes. So it's a lot of good steps in the right direction. And I know some people, when they looked at the launch of this car, 
they were underwhelmed. And I can understand that because I think a lot of us put hope on Ferrari to be that team that's really going to challenge Red Bull. They have the resources, they have the people, they have the drivers, they have all the ingredients that you could possibly need to make this work. And yet time and time again, Ferrari always seemed to fall short. It's almost a bit like a full storm in that regard. But I felt from last season that Ferrari, we all knew what their problem was. It wasn't getting the fastest lap. They were very good at doing that. I think they were on pole six times last season, which given how dominant Red Bull were, I think that's rather impressive. They were the only team to win a race that Red Bull didn't win, and they deserved that, and they probably should have had two last season if you count Vegas in that regard. I looked at all of that, and I felt that if Ferrari could iron out the problems that they had during the race where the degradation was so intense, they struggled to manage the tyres, the car was so inconsistent. If they can iron out those problems rather than focusing on the outright pace, which of course does need to be improved as well. Let's not kid ourselves here. It did need to be a faster car. Ferrari were going to be in a good place to start this season. And for me, I think Ferrari have looked like they've been able to achieve all of that. Now, it's early days. You know, I could be saying this and we could end up being in a situation like we were in 2021 where Ferrari looked like they had the fastest car and then they were dreadful in the first couple of races. So with all that being said, Lee, what do you think about the SF24? Are Ferrari in a position where at the very least they can be the leading challengers to Red Bull or should we be a little bit cautious and wait and see what they can do come the first few races? I would always be on the cautious side and say that we should wait and see what happens in the first few races. But they've got a very good chance of being the the lead of the chasing pack. Um, and I really wouldn't be surprised if uh, Charles is up there in qualifying and taking the fight to Max uh, in the first weekend. Of course. Let's move on to uh, the other team that I think could possibly be in that mix as well and that's Mercedes now I don't think it will surprise many people that Mercedes are up there as well unfortunately with Mercedes we didn't really get to see them do a proper long race run or at least a few stints to kind of gauge where they are in terms of long run performance uh, we, we saw in day three they were doing quite a mixture of medium term runs and then they had a bit of a longer run later on in the day where James Allison said they were on track with same tyres, with a Ferrari and a McLaren. And he said they looked all right. They had the third fastest time in George Russell over a lap. Uh, and again, I think there's more to come from Mercedes and I think from what we've seen. But what do you make of Mercedes in pre-season testing, Lee? As, as I said already, I think there is certainly more to come from Mercedes. I think they showed less than everybody else did to a certain degree. So should we be excited by Mercedes? Have they finally rid themselves of the ailments that they've suffered over the last two years uh so firstly on their testing uh it's very for me it felt very much like a mercedes test session from their dominant years that mercedes would turn up and they go oh no 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 we're not gonna win and they'll be they won't be saying any of the fastest times ferrari will be going to set the fastest time in single laps or in race distance um and mercedes be in their own little testing schedule or test plan um sandbagging quite heavily uh it reminds me a lot of those uh um test sessions and obviously i'm not saying the mercedes are going to have us um have the dominant car um but the fact that they've got seem to have found their mojo the team's spirit has, has, is quite positive uh they feel they achieved everything from their t- um, testing plan um and they they didn't try and display any power or show off uh, to any degree. I'm not saying other teams did show off, um, but they didn't try and get any attraction, which is very much Mercedes testing go to. I do think there's more to come from them, um, but it does look like they've got rid of a lot of the main criticisms that they've had the last couple of years. Obviously, the big one for Lewis has been the seating position that's obviously been rectified, but the there was no sign of any. Uh, bouncing for either, um, either driver, which is obviously very good. And the fact that, again, looking at their um, corner and entry and exit, they look very solid, which um, has one uh, been obviously an issue they've had the last couple of seasons. And even their top speeds has, seems to be a bit higher than it has been the last few years. So, again, that's another issue they had because they were quite slow the last couple of years in top speed. So it does look like a solid baseline for them. 
for the start of the season. And we all know Mercedes are very good at in-season development. So they just need to have a, a solid car. Um, and they obviously develop quite heavily through the season. Absolutely. And, you know, they did a lot of laps as well. It, it was a good test for Mercedes. I think, you know, when everybody's kind of trying to do their pecking orders, and I think I'm probably guilty of this as well, is that we do tend to look at the long run performance. And when a team like Mercedes doesn't produce many long runs, it's quite difficult to gauge exactly where they are. So you look at other things like the eye test, for example, you know, when you're watching the cars on the broadcast, and of course, we're not journalists, Lee, we, we don't get access to see the cars live on track. So it's a little bit more difficult for us. But from what I was able to see, when I was watching some of the cars go through turns nine to 11, that sort of weird white, that's sort of, um, sort of, triple left-hander section if you like like 9 10 and 11 you could see the direction of the cars and, and where it was sort of moving and how they were sort of balanced and how they were handling red bull obviously looked the class of the field ferrari looked very very handy as well i think they were next best after that um in their case it just looks like add a bit more downforce or a bit more speed and you'll be much closer to red bull but mercedes looked pretty handy as well and i think on day one and two it was a little bit strange. It was a little bit all over the place, you know, not, you know, completely out of balance, but I think the drivers weren't able to pick up the throttle on exit as early as what they were able to do with the Red Bull and Ferrari. On day three, however, there was definitely improvement there. And I think for me, this is why I think Mercedes are a lot closer to Ferrari than I think some people think. I don't think they're ahead of them. I think Ferrari is still the best of the rest. But I think with Mercedes... They seem to look like they found something with this car that gave them a lot of confidence. And I think, as you rightly put, will set the tone for their development plan going ahead in 2024. They're definitely in the mix. Yeah, they're, they're going to be in the fight for the, the chasing pack at the very least. And obviously, out of a lot of the teams, there were one that seems to have the most innovations. Obviously, not innovations to say that they're going to be the outright fastest. Um, but one thing that did catch my attention throughout the testing apart from their, their front wing, was their front suspension. Suspension, Obviously, there's not a lot of details being revealed, and it's only a lot of guessing work, but they've got the... Uh, it appears that they have the ability to change their front wishbone setting on their anti-dive mechanism, which, obviously, if it carries over into race weekend, and it's not just their testing, is a different matter. But if it does go over to race weekend, obviously, that gives them a wider window for setting up the car. If they can move the front wishbone... As required, so they can try and uh, widen their operating window, which is obviously been a, a key issue for Mercedes the last couple of years. Is the cars may have been fast, but their operating window was so small, uh, it was very hard to get in that window. But if they can move the wishbone on the on the front suspension, it wide opens it up quite nicely for them if, uh, as track dependent. So it'd be interesting to see if that does carry over into a race weekend. And I agree with you. I think that's going to be Mercedes well it's going to be what works for them or what may go against them in the early stages of the season is that it does look like a decent car and whether it's going to be a challenge for the likes of Ferrari and even Red Bull we'll have to wait and see but it does still look like a car that they will have a little bit of time trying to get the balance right as I said day three was a very good day for Mercedes if I base this off of day one and two I would have said that maybe they'd be where McLaren and Aston Martin are but I think after day three I thought okay they look pretty good, but I think we may go to other circuits this year where if Mercedes aren't able to just turn that car on and plug it in play, if you like, like the other, like Red Bull and Ferrari seem to have at the moment, and even Aston Martin to a degree as well, that could be a problem for them. It's very temperamental, and that operating window is better, is bigger than what it was, but I still think it has a ways to go. But overall, good test for Mercedes. A uh, quick one on Aston Martin. I think we should talk about them as well because. They looked pretty good. And I don't want to get carried away and say that they had a test like they did last year, where I think they really generated some headlines. And that pace was obviously proven to be factual and correct because of how good they were in Bahrain a week later. They obviously haven't hit those heights, but it looked like a pretty drivable car. Fernando Alonso was pretty happy with it. To me, it looks like a car that's pretty well balanced. And I think we're going to see a lot more from it in the first few races. But perhaps it just needs to have a bit more downforce added onto it. Yeah, it did, it does look like a very solid car again, but it definitely I've got the feeling they're not going to be at the fighting for podiums into the first race um, like they were last year. I think they've been cleared by a Mercedes Ferrari in the 
the fight for the podium. Yeah, I agree with you. Quick one on Lance Stroll. Of course, we've got to talk about him because Lance... Um, he's not broken his wrist this? again, has he? No, no, no. He has. <laughs> Fortunately, he's okay as far as I understand. So that's obviously very, very good news. Um, anyone who watched Drive to Survive, which obviously went out on Friday, uh, the first episode, well, there was a lot around that and obviously how hard it was affecting him. And I think we saw that throughout the season. Bahrain was very much an outlier in terms of a result compared to the performances that followed for him when he was still struggling with that injury. But he's been able to get some testing done. So even when he rolled out the garage for the first time, Lee, on day one, he'd already done more laps and had more time on the track than he had done the entirety of last season. So it looks like preparation has gone well for Lance. It's obviously a big season for him. I'm not really too bothered in trying to talk about contract stuff because he's in a very unique situation. But as far as having a much more representative 2024 campaign goes... He's obviously made a very, very good start to that. And I think for him, he really needs to try and stay as close as he can to his teammate because the team are really going to need him to bring home some bigger points last season. If anything, they probably missed out on P4 and maybe more than that because of Lance. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, they missed out on those higher, higher position because of Lance's underperformance. Um, he needs, obviously, his seat's not as at risk, um, at least at the moment. Um but he does need to obviously show that he can take the fight to Fernando or at least be closer to Fernando um, before the other investors in the in the team obviously start making louder and louder noises. Um, so he needs to uh, effectively prove his dad right and why are there all the money being poured into the team. Um, and Lance needs to show that he's the future world champion, which is obviously what Lawrence believes. Yeah, very much so. And... Uh... Yeah, watching the first episode of Drive to Survive, I must admit, it, it was rather sweet and nice to see how lovingly Lawrence talks about his son and how much he wants to win with Lance at the wheel of the team. And, um, you know, I think we often look at someone like Lawrence Stroll as like the, not the pantomime villain, but the the man with that aura, the Bond villain kind of character. And yet, when you when you strip all of that away, the money, the exterior, the aura and everything else... It's just a dad who wants his son to win in Formula One. And I don't think, you know, I'm not a parent, but, you know, that's always such a nice thing to hear. So uh, it, it was nice to see. As I said, I haven't watched much more of Drive to Survive Net yet. I still got quite a few episodes to get through. But uh, yeah, I thought I might as well bring that one in because it was quite nice to see. Um, let's move on to a, a separate topic, actually, that was quite interesting. We saw a bit of this at uh, Vegas last season and obviously a few years ago in Baku. But the subject of drains coming up again Lee quite concerning because uh, going towards was it turn 11 turn 12 we had Lewis Hamilton drive over it on the entry curb on the outside of the corner um, and then obviously Charles Leclerc drove over it with his Ferrari to really flare that up and on two occasions actually uh, did it bring out a red flag and we had to have the days ex- well not extended but we had to have the morning and afternoon session kind of overlap with each other as a result is that something that could potentially be a big concern for the teams and the FIA, given the fact that we're going to the same venue in a few days' time for the first Grand Prix of the season. Yeah, firstly, I think it's really embarrassing for the sport that what happened off in Vegas, and they're having the same issue in just testing, um, and drivers aren't pushing as hard as they do in a race weekend as they do in a test. So you can only imagine if they get this issue in testing, how likely it will be to happen again in a race weekend which is probably quite high um and it's it, it does seem surprising that no one has thought about how the ground affects um cars interact with the road surface and obviously drains and obviously the the suction from the ground effects and obviously the cars are getting faster the downforce and the ground effect is getting um that much better on, uh, and the on the car and the drains in the current uh, Grade one status, which is obviously the FI grade one for the Formula One uh, circuit hosting, is the current solution with drains doesn't seem to work very well with the current ground effect. So they really need to revise that from a safety standards. I mean, you just have to think um, how close we came last year. It just has to, the drain lid has to come up just a bit earlier and you're hitting a driver. And we don't want a fatality um, from this. So they really need to make a permanent solution across all venues um obviously i think reading for bahrain for next weekend they're filling in all the um drains with concrete and painting them over but 
is that permanent solution? Maybe, but they need to implement it across the entire venues because we can't have the risk like that on the drivers. It's just really not acceptable. I think what I want to know is why is it always the Ferrari that's putting uh, these drains they're just out? It's going the fastest. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd like to think that, but clearly there's a car that's faster than the Ferrari at the moment. I'm thinking, why is it then never them? Why is it always the red car that's pulling these drains up out of the ground? Uh, someone tell me because. Uh, it's an unfortunate coincidence, but um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I It's something that has to be addressed. As I said, people can say this is what pre-season testing is for, but we're here to test the cars, not the circuit. So hopefully they've been able to rectify that issue. We shouldn't have any repeat occurrences during the Grand Prix weekend coming up very, very soon. Let's move on to another team I want to talk about because this was a team that I think was quite hyped up over the winter break rightly so because they had a lot of good things going for it on the tail end of 2023 heading into 2024 it was going to be a big winter for them the launch itself was okay but there were some signs for concern based on what we had heard from them and then heading into testing i think it's fair to say that mclaren despite the hype and despite the hope that a lot of people had been putting onto them probably didn't deliver what they were hoping to do in pre-season testing. I think they came away with more questions than answers. I mean, there's no doubt the car is good. It looks quick. The long run pace is pretty decent. But I think they're probably a bit concerned that they've not made the gains perhaps they would have liked to have done. Yeah, um, it, it was a bit of an underwhelming testing test for McLaren. Um, obviously, there's the the whole thing that's, that they didn't get the innovations on the car that they wanted. Um, there's a bit of a, a negative feel coming out of the team over the test session compared to the positivity that they had in the winter. Um, not that they're saying the car's bad, just it's just not performed what they expected. Um, I think there's a part of it they don't really understand the car um, as well as they did last season's car. Obviously, all, they're, obviously all teams understand last season's car better, but the upgrades that they put and they kept bringing through last year, they understood the whole process, but they seem a bit lost at the moment. Um, and I think they've got just a bit of scratching, uh, head scratching to figure out what's not quite working or it's again, wait until the innovations that they're working on come in a first upgrade later in the season that gets the car to where they wanted it to be that they couldn't bring for launch spec. Um, so it's, a, I think, maybe another underwhelming start uh, to the season for McLaren. Yeah, I mean, McLaren did the second fewest laps of the test. They had a few problems early on, which did set them back. Do you think perhaps the fact that they did quite a fewer number of laps than some of their rivals would be a concern for them, Lee? Or do you think, you know what, they did over 300 laps, that, that's decent enough? I mean, they only did less than 100 laps on day two and they only just missed that. So, I mean, it's not like it's a disaster, is it? But McLaren, at this point in time, and if you talk to Lando Norris, Zach Brown, Oscar Piastri, they all pretty much said the same thing, and that was they're not quite where they want to be yet. They're still a long way off Red Bull and, and a long way off Ferrari. Yeah, um, obviously more laps is always better, um, but I don't think it was a terrible test session. Um, I just think it's they're just waiting on their first upgrades of the season. Uh, I think their their car design is just not in their operating window where they obviously planned it to be compared to what the the they're planning to bring later in the season. I think they're just not understanding the car, as I said just yet, um, and they're they're going to be in the chasing pack. Don't get me wrong; they're not going to be back of the field like they were last year at the start of the season but they're going to be yeah. at the bottom end of the top 10 yeah I think pace wise they look like they're in that mix I think you know that they're not exactly falling away or anything like that I mean look they're in a much better position relatively to the competition than they were 12 months ago yeah. so that's good news um I think in a weird way their launch kind of made us feel that there was a lot more to come from them and Perhaps because of that, we may have felt that, oh, McLaren have under-delivered a bit here because it looked like they promised us a lot and actually it wasn't really as much as we'd hoped it would be. But as we said already, last year their development was absolutely crazy. If they have a very similar development pattern this season with a decent car to start with, they could very much be in the mix very, very soon for challenging the likes of Red Bull. I mean, let's not get carried away here, but then they could be in a much worse position i think it's best to say about mclaren but perhaps we hope for a little bit more from them heading into the season 
Oh yeah, I mean, they, if they, if you said to Zach Brown or Lando or Oscar, would you rather be fighting in the top ten or the back of the field they were last season? I think they'd take fighting in the top ten. So, uh, oh, absolutely. Two. So, I, I, it wasn't terrible, but obviously, yeah, it's the the hype may have obviously led to a disappointment in itself. Exactly. And look, you might be listening to this right now and thinking, how do we know? what the pecking order is going to be. I mean, for all we know, McLaren could be the best of the rest and Ferrari could be absolutely muddied and Mercedes are nowhere. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, no. Um, <laughs> but um, you've you got to go, I think Rachel Brooks from Sky F1 put it best and that's, you've got to be mindful and, and watch the body language of the drivers. You know, not just what they say, but how they say it. And those that do look in good shape are quite glowing about their prospects, whereas those that are not in the best shape are much more reserved. McLaren was very much in the latter camp in terms of judging their own prospects. And I think there was a bit of concern on their face that perhaps they hoped they would have been in a much stronger position than they're currently in. But again, early days. This could all completely go up on its head in a few days' time. Um, Looking at the second half of the field, Lee, I don't want to go into too much depth on each team because I know we're going to run out of time at this point. But looking through the field, you've got RB, look quite decent. I think it's fair to say about them, even though there's a lot of synergy there with Red Bull, within the regulations, of course, we must stress, nothing that they've done so far, despite Zach Brown constantly lobbying the FIA to do something about this, nothing they've done so far is in breach of the regulations. It's certainly not a Red Bull clone. You know, I think we have to be upfront about that right now. It's not a Red Bull 2 car or anything like that. But they look quite decent. Um, Williams... Um, going on Williams, actually, I think we should talk about Williams. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Lee. It looks okay. They brought their new car out. We saw it in all its glory. But um, as I suspected and as I feared, the fact that we didn't see the new car at the launch suggested to me that it might be a little bit behind. And I think that's kind of the impression we got from Williams. They were a bit slow to get going. Day two and three was obviously a lot better. But... Um, yeah, they did the fewest laps of everybody. And, and for me, I think that's just down to the fact that perhaps they're not as prepared as they would have liked to have been. Yeah, I, I think that they're probably the least prepared team right now. Um, and obviously, they left the cars as late as possible for maximizing their development time. Um, but that new steering wheel, hey, they got a screen in front of me. <laughs> yeah, they got, they got rid of it. I think we that is certainly a newsworthy point to talk about. Williams have finally got rid of the uh, bolted-on dashboard that they had, which was separate from the will. That's now a part of it. I think that's the first thing James Vowles wanted to change as soon as he got there. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to miss that steering wheel at all. Cause it was, it was definitely 2014, 2015. It was cool, but it's not cool anymore. It's 2024. They've gone a much more conventional style. I'm just looking at pictures of it now. It looks a little bit like the Ferrari steering wheel to a degree, but with more triangular base at the bottom looks a lot better. It's much more in the the 2020s, if you like, than uh, the 2010s. Yeah, Alex and Logan are going to now pay Tetris um, while they're driving like all the other drivers <laughs> do. Uh, so they've been, they've been missing out now. They, they yeah, I think it. Alex probably could. I don't think Logan <laughs> has the, will have the opportunity to do that, quite frankly. He needs to focus on the job at hand. But uh, it's going to be a big season ahead for both drivers. Alex, we, we know what we're going to come to expect from him. He's definitely going to be the driving force for Williams. But... This is a big season for Logan, and I think James Vowles put it quite bluntly that, you know, last year was a learning experience, but he's really got to, you know, really rise to that steep learning curve, and he can't afford to, you know, have a dull hit kind of underperform like he did last year. Oh, very much so. Um, I mean, personally, I don't think he did enough to deserve his seat this season. Um, but the fact he that the, he is here, and he has to step up or he's not going to have a second chance if he doesn't deliver this year. Um, it's Especially with the Mercedes, well, obviously what's happening with Mercedes may have an impact on the Williams driver lineup. Um, so they, they re- he really needs to step his game up to prove that he deserves to be in the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't agree with you more on that one. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how Williams gets on this season it's going to be a tough season for them but uh again nobody really had a bad test in my opinion i think everybody did relatively good in terms of like they didn't have any major problems or anything like that i think there's probably only one team that i could probably pinpoint lee that came away from this test feeling pretty low 
about their chances in 2024. And unfortunately, that was Alpine. You know, looking at them over one lap, it wasn't great. The long run pace wasn't great. Pierre Gasly said that this is going to be a tough season for them. It just seems right now that, you know, a team that had re, well, not rebranded, but they'd started this five-year plan again in this process and project that the, um, you know, the team principal and CEO Bruno Fanman was was talking about. And, and now all of a sudden, we're back to square one with Alpine. It just seems to be a raft of issues and problems. And I, I mean, we'll go for our pecking order at the end of the moment, but I feel, I fear for Alpine right now. I think they are the team that look the most in trouble at the moment. Yeah, Alpine seem to, yeah, and it's only testing. Obviously, they could be really on it at the weekend, which I really I doubt. But um, they seem to have, as a team, fallen the most um, out of the grid. Um, obviously, there's been maybe a bit of pecking order shuffle one or two positions, but Alpine seems to have dropped the most. And it's such a shame. Obviously, they've done their refinancing it last year with the substitute buy-ins. Um, so it could be a big embarrassment for... Alpine management as a whole, that the whole service process, <laughs> they're at the wrong end of the grid. Um, so you really do feel for them. Yeah, very much so. Um, okay, so, you know, we've gone through most of the teams. I don't think there's too much really to say on stake and Haas really, because Haas, obviously, we were expecting them to be on the back foot, but I think they did relatively well. The cars were reliable. The drivers seemed pretty happy with it being a step forward. They did the most laps of anybody. Stake also were pretty solid as well. I think they were one of the more reliable teams, got some good lap times. Obviously, Joe Guan Yu, I think he was second fastest over every... So that's going to be quite interesting in terms of where their one lap pace is. Are they going for the glory runs like they were doing a few years ago or is the pace legit? We'll have to wait and see on that one, won't we, Lee? Oh, yeah, but it's it's definitely an MO to do a glory run, um, which so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Yeah, historically, they do tend to be the team that runs lighter than everybody else when they try to show us what they can do. They often do used to do that in pre uh, the free practice sessions and, you know, they get, always get found out on the Saturday and Sunday anyway. So every team obviously has an interest in trying to set some good times. Historically, I think over the last, what is it now, eight years, I think the team that has finished fastest at the test has not fa- has failed. Well, sorry, the team that's finished fastest at the end of the test, has gone on to finish no lower than second in the Constructors' Championship. So, you know, obviously Ferrari did it this time, so that's a good omen for them. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt to have a few headlines with the times here. So I think we're going to finish this episode off, Lee, with our prediction at this point in time, based off what we saw in testing, of the pecking order. So do you want to go through 1 to 10 first, or do you want me to go through 1 to 10? I don't mind, whichever you prefer, mate. Uh, let's go with you, mate. Let's okay. do uh, one to ten. You can go ten all the way to one if you like, or one to ten, whichever's easy for you. I go one to ten because the way yeah, I've got the list in my one. head. <laughs> <laughs> it's like doing the alphabet backwards, isn't yep. it? Yeah, um, it's too much thinking to do it the other way around. Um, yeah. So I think it's very obvious that the pe- uh, for the first fastest team in the pecking order, in my predict is Red Bull. Uh, I think at the moment it's then followed closely by Ferrari, Mercedes which is then followed by McLaren and Aston Martin. Uh, I think RBs, V-Carb, um, Toro Rosso, whatever you, <laughs> you want to call it. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're sitting there in sixth. And then um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's then Stake, Williams, Alpine, and then Haas. Yes, an interesting one. Um, I've I've... My list is very similar in that regard. I've gone with, obviously, Red Bull first. Not even me. I'm not even going to dare put Ferrari <laughs> anywhere near because they're not. I mean, I know people were saying, oh, how close are Ferrari to Red Bull and race pace? A lot that they're in the mix. I'm like, yeah, but come on. Like, Ferrari made that bigger jump? Probably not. I know they've sacrificed some one-lap performance, but there's no way they're fastest at this point, in my opinion. So Red Bull first, Ferrari second. Um, and then, yeah, I agree. I think Mercedes are third ahead of McLaren. I know some people put McLaren ahead of Mercedes, but I just think Mercedes have got a bit more to show than what we saw in testing. So I've put them there. Then I've put McLaren fourth, Aston Martin fifth. But again, I think when you go second to fifth, I think you could, there is a case where you can move a few of those about and put them anywhere. I don't think there is a, I think Ferrari is the fastest out of those four, but 
you know, on any given day, that could be Aston Martin or it could uh, be McLaren. I think it's to be uh, that chasing pack is going to be very track dependent. Yeah, it is very tight at the moment. And then yeah, racing balls, I or RB, whatever they. That was the easiest one, I think, to put, except for Red Bull, obviously, and that was P6. I think they are out on their own at the moment, um, but I think they're closer to Aston Martin than they are to those behind them. After that, I'm probably going to be wrong on this one, but I went with Alpine. I just think historically they had some problems at this test, but I do think there's probably more to it than perhaps what we've seen. So I've given them the benefit of the doubt, but again, I could easily agree with you, Lee, and say that they were ninth. Um, Williams have gone P8. Uh, Salba or Stay Kick, whatever, P9, and then Haas, P10. But the good news for Haas is they're not going to be on F2 pace. They're right in the mix, so that's always a good thing. At least for now. Wait to wait till the season when they start dropping off. <laughs> well, well, they seem to look like they, the car was... But again, as I said, nobody had a disaster of a no. test. All these, You can't tell me that you no team has done like less than 300 laps and that anyone's had a really, really bad test, to be honest. So... It's a good sign that the teams are getting to grips with these new cars relatively well, but the only team out of those 10 that I really worry for is Alpine. You know, they've changed a lot on that car, and it shows because they're really struggling with it. Yeah, I mean, just may, that just may be an understanding of their new car direction, and that may just come with them in red time. Yeah, very much so. But hey-ho, we'll have to wait and see. As I said, the first race is not too far away. It's going to be on a Saturday, so mark that one in your calendars, guys, because the first race of the season will not be on a Sunday. So uh, if you wake up on Sunday hoping to watch the Bahrain Grand Prix, you've missed it. So don't be that guy. Don't do that. And uh, we'll, of course, be back very, very soon with our first preview of the season. The Bahrain Grand Prix, of course, which is kind of like a mini preview for this one but we'll get into that in a few days time but as always guys if you've enjoyed this podcast make sure to like it follow us on your favorite pod platform and don't forget to leave us a five star review we have a couple that we're going to share on the next episode in the preview we thought we'd wait till then to do that so uh, if you want yours read out leave us a five star review on your favorite pod platform but until then guys thanks for tuning in as always please stay safe and we will see you on the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and remember as always if you're not first you're probably dnf1 take care Podcast Network.